Welcome everyone to the Heal and Awaken podcast and I welcome you to the fifth season and this is a uh, this is a season that's very dear to my heart because it's Ayurveda for women by women and I have an incredibly special guest here today it's somebody I've been following for many years and uh I am intrigued by her. I am completely drawn to her. I'm fascinated by her work. I have actually done a couple of her online courses, uh, self-study course. Uh, you can say she's definitely one of the leading pioneers in contemporary feminine spirituality. She's inspired thousands of women all over the world through her incredible methods of living and embodying feminine brilliance and now more than ever we need her teachings we need her guidance uh, we need her beautiful shakti light and she is most known among other things for her love of mythology and storytelling as a method of illuminating our own hidden strength and beauty um, she has studied under remarkable mentors and herself has undergone hundreds and thousands of years of uh, hours and years and lifetimes of intense practice of meditation and spiritual studies she's on tedx uh, she has an amazing facebook group called awakening women uh, yogini sadhana group uh, they're very powerful groups if you are interested in joining those and uh, she has authored uh, three books on feminine empowerment and spirituality and the links to that will be in the show notes and uh, she was born in Norway and now lives in Northern California with her husband and two of her bonus sons and her beautiful it is aesthetically beautiful and there is so much wealth and richness and abundance of the goddess on her website awakeningwomen.com. I am delighted to invite Chameli, our beautiful teacher, guide, mentor for thousands of women. Thank you so, so much for being here. <laughs> it is such a joy. Thank you. I am so honored to be invited to this uh, conversation. And I would like to tell you and uh, the listeners that your guidance around regulating the body with massaging warm oils in the evening to soothe the nervous system has carried me through this pandemic and all the turmoil of the world and all the challenges and opportunities that we have faced the last months. And I want to thank you from my heart for the crucial guidance and love that you pour into this world. And uh, it has been a lifesaver for me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, I did want to tell our listeners about uh, 
the beautiful website, the Self Care Collective. Um, I am now I'm getting a little distracted, but it's very exciting. It's a beautiful website and it is where you can go. You can sign up to be on the website where you have access to such incredible practices for every woman everywhere. And it comes from so many different wisdom traditions and it's here. We are in this age where everyone can have equal access to wisdom, beauty, self-care, spiritual study, spiritual awakening. And I'm going to put a link to that as well in the show notes. So speaking of body, speaking of connection, can you describe to our listeners who is an embodied woman? <laughs> that would be lovely to know. <laughs> of course, um, when we speak about embodiment, uh, we speak about uh, sometimes framing it as a journey back into a connection that we have lost. Um, the term embodiment is only relevant when we look at the imbalance towards. Uh, valuing and emphasizing the mental realm more than our embodied realm. So when we speak about embodiment practices, these are antidotes to uh, thousands of years of, of training our energy to, to disassociate with the body and to value this uh, mental commentary about our experiences more than the actual experience itself in the body. And um, this, this embodiment is uh, creating consequences that we see all around us. Uh, a disembodied human has become a very destructive species. So an embodied woman is a woman who remembers who she is. It's not something that she has to achieve uh, as a goal in the future or something that is not here. It is more an awakening to what is already here, awakening from the ideas that makes us believe and value the disembodied sense of self more than our place in, in the big body of Gaia of Earth. It's important that embodiment doesn't become another carrot on the stick, you know, some, kind, some kind of ideal we have to live up to. It is a return to who we are. It is a remembering of belonging in the world and our place in the great wheel of life. The practice and journey to embodiment, so to speak, is, uh, is a descent. Descent from that lofty sense of self, like the abstract sense of self, back into the body. And it's not always comfortable, and that descent 
where we meet the parts that we have pushed away, the parts that didn't have space in that confined sense of self. And this is why we need practices. We need uh, some understanding about how to balance our bodies so that we can stay through also the uncomfortable and sticky places. So we can land in, in wholeness. That is the promise of the, of the goddess, is wholeness. It's a healing of the fragmentation that we have um, been trapped in for too long. Oh, thank you so much. I know this speaks to every woman and perhaps even man who's listening to this. Um, there is such a hunger for this. Perhaps we don't even know where the hunger comes from, but it's there in every woman and quite frankly, every man. We just don't know how to access it and everyone's looking for it, which is the reason why I wanted to do this season called Ayurveda for women. So um, I often tell my clients, your body will never lie to you. Your mind will, your mind will distract you. It will take you here and there. It will spin different stories, repeat things to you, but your body will never lie to you. So can you share your wisdom and perspective on the wisdom that is already built into the body? A woman. Yeah. When we look at the wheel of life, we see here on earth, a very precise perfection, the sense of uh, self-regulating principles. We see that there is a dance between the elements that so elegantly creates life. And humans, we have a place in this dance that many of us have forgotten. And we begin, when we begin to look at earth, we see it, it as, as if it's something outside ourselves. And the direct continuation of that is that when you look at our bodies, we begin to think that also the body is an object that we can view from the outside and that the body is something different than earth. But everything is created from the same principles. So we have the codes of how to live in integrity and harmony here on earth within our bodies. And I remember when I first uh, had the, the great gift of, of meeting an Ayurvedic practitioner, I remember that the, the talk about the elements and it, it, it somehow was a little abstract to me as if that was a system that made me understand the body. But the more I dive into the embodied practices, the more I awaken to the elements being the body, that the elements is what the body is made of, made of. So in the healing modality of Ayurveda, in my experience, is that it's such a, yes, we can heal an ailment. Yes, we can bring balance into the body, but in its deepest sense, 
the understanding and, and practice of Ayurveda in the body is a weaving into our bigger body, into our bigger place in, on earth, because it is a remembering of the principles and elements that we are created of and that all things are created of. So it is an awakening into union in a very felt and physical sense, not as an abstract kind of spacious cosmic reality that is outside the body. It is in, within and through the body that we find that union uh, that so often um, has been in, in many interpretations of spiritual maps, it has been, union has been held as an opposite of body, as if union is found outside the prison of the body. Yes, that is exactly, yeah. that was one of the things I made a note to ask you, you know, there are so many, um, I suppose I could say Eastern traditions where there is this idea that the body is bad, disconnect from it, focus on the soul or the spirit, and I know women who have done that. And I see the pain from doing that. Physically, the pain they go through, spiritually and emotionally. I have seen it for years and years. And it's like a part of you has been cut off and disowned. And we are just this amazing mix of body and spirit and soul and energy and we're complex, we're whole and holy and complex. And when the body is taken out of it, we live here in our heads. It's very uncomfortable. It creates a lot of problems. So yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned this idea of, you know, we cannot just leave the body out of the spiritual practice, spiritual process. So in that context, can you share about Gaia? I think this might even be a new word for many people. And how does, I know, I know Gaia manifests in us through these elements. But if you can elaborate some more, that would be wonderful. Yes. Yeah, so Gaia is a Greek word for Mother Earth. So she is perhaps the most tangible and direct experience, physical experience we have of, of Devi, of goddess. She's not, you know, when we think about earth and sky, we think about them as two different things, but Gaia, she is the physical globe, but she's also the atmosphere around, yeah? So that the, the clouds in the sky is part of her. So she has a very dense, aspect of herself and she has a very airy and spacious aspect of herself and together she is totality. Now in the Greek myth we see this uh, very powerful map of, of what we have already spoken of, this disconnection from the body and beginning to see earth and body and the feminine as something that we should liberate ourselves from basically <laughs> and in uh, we can see that in in the mythology we see the root of those beliefs happened in in the west but we can see that the a greek mythology is like the seat of western civilization that that of course spread out into the east and into it has spread out all, all, all of the world 
And the myth is that Gaia and Uranus, they are, they are one. They are in one lovemaking. And Uranus here is the name for Father Sky. So Uranus and Gaia in lovemaking is similar to uh, Shiva Shakti in lovemaking. It's that union of matter and spirit, of formlessness and form. We say Shiva and Shakti, but the, it's more accurate to say Shiva Shakti or Gaya Uranos. It's actually one reality. It, it, it's like a spectrum. It takes form as very spacious, very dense, but never separate. So here we see that union of Uranos and Gaia. And out of this union, all of the creatures in the world are born. So out of this blissful lovemaking, all the creatures in the world are born. Now, not all of the creatures are uh, pretty creatures. Yeah, we have the animals and plants and humans and all of that is great, but then you have the trolls and you have the elves and you have the dwarfs and you have the monsters and you have the asuras, you have all of these beings that also are part of existence, but at this point, when they start to be born, Uranus, he begins to uh, feel ashamed of them. So he begins to push these ugly children down into the underworld, down into the basement. And then he pretends that they are not there. And um, Gaia, she doesn't know that this is going on. And when she discovers uh, what he's doing, she gets so angry she she roars and the mountain shakes and the oceans are swirling and storms and winds and she's very 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 upset she cannot understand how he can push away some of her children pretty children ugly children for her they are all her children and it is not the monsters themselves that creates uh, evil in the world it is the fragmentation. Try to fragment her totality is creating disease. And she gathers her help from her other sons and they come and stop Uranus from doing this. And the way they do it, they actually cut his genitals off. And in great pain and great fear of the rage of the mother, he disappears up into the heaven and this is the moment where heaven and earth are split in two now an interesting thing is that the penis the genitals of uranus is thrown into the sea and around this divine piece of flesh there's foam 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 and out of this foam arises the goddess now this is similar to the myth of lakshmiya in the in the sea and then uh, out of this foam uh, arises here in the Greek mythology, Aphrodite, who is the goddess of love and sexuality. <laughs> and she's born right in that split. Now, one more thing about this myth is that, again, this split happened in human consciousness. It didn't really happen, you see. It's a split within us. And we left with our father he got the parental rights for us our spirituality left with uranus and and then we move into this uprooted sense of self and from here everything else is other 
everything else is object. Earth is something we have to control and keep you know, at distance. The body has to fit into certain ideals. And this became this kind of ideal human, which now we begin to see has become a very destructive human. So when we speak about the descent, we speak about embodiment, what we are speaking about is that descent of Uranus uh, back, plant, back into the mother. Not so that Uranus, that part of us is bad, it's just that when it's uprooted from mother, it becomes very destructive. When we bring it back into union in our inner yoga, we also have to deal with the exiled children in the basement. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> <are> coming up. <laughs> Their voices can be really strong. Yes. They've been oppressed for so long. <laughs> yes. Nobody likes to be pushed away in the, in the basement. And in the goddess myth kind of worldview, whatever you try to push away, there is no way. It's all Shakti, it's all energy, and it takes different forms. It's more like an alchemy, more than getting rid of parts of ourselves, because that, Gaia reminds us, that is the disease, is that pushing away parts. We, we can spend a lifetime doing that. Thank you so much for this very powerful story. And, I'm trying to see if there's some way I can piece together this beautiful mythological story to the story of the pain of the disembodied woman here and now. Like, women are so angry. Women have maybe even at least droplets of hate now and then in the heart. They're resentful. They are trying to figure out who am I in the context of today's world? Where is my place in the world? Where is the place for my femininity? Or am I not feminine enough? Or am I even too much feminine? Too much in the feminine? So can you address for our listeners this notion of this very deep pain and how to even begin to make sense of it in today's context? fragmentation this anti-disembodiment mm -hmm. yeah well first it is to recognize that this split is within ourselves and the way we we view it outside in our society in our relationship structure in our society structure they are reflection of our inner consciousness so that is good news because that means that there is a certain sense of empowerment in, in our capacity, uh, in, in the invitation of recognizing that, that we can actually begin to dive into the healing work within ourselves. Of course, there's, there's a place for outer action, which is more and more obviously needed, but this fragmentation is within ourselves. So for example, for me, I have been engaged in embodiment practice for 30 years. And just yesterday, I discovered another piece of this internalized, uprooted Uranus that judges the feminine. 
I could notice that there was a there was a judgment and pushing away of a very soft and needy and dependent part of me, of women, of life, and an idealizing, idealization of the kind of free, um, this, uh, this free part that wanted to not have responsibilities and, and kind of judge the kind of basic needs of life, idolizing the artist, the creative, the, the wizard uh, part. Um, and I could see that, how oh, there was a, there was an invitation for me to bring that, those pieces that I pushed away within myself, to bring them back into her wholeness. It can be humbling and, you, you know, even some shame comes up when I look at, even me as a teacher and leader of this, a woman's embodiment work is to see that wow this goes so deep this is so, this is like the water and the air that i've been breathing and drinking since i was a child these ideals what we should value uh, what is a valuable and worthy human being now for me this work makes me question all of those definitions also how i define spirituality just what is the definition of spiritual maturity who created it what mindset created the definition of spirituality? Uh, did it include women? Were we part of that definition? Or do we actually sometimes, I have seen myself become a mouthpiece for a spirituality that intrinsically, basically, is judging women and the feminine, myself. So it, it, goes, it goes deep, this kind of dismantling of that uprooted good on us ideas, because a lot of that mindset is what we call normal. <laughs> so it feels like, whoa, uh, it's to question so many things. But here's the good news, is that whenever we see a sticky place like that, where energy has coagulated into a pattern that is unconscious, that we have learned, we didn't even choose it, but we just have gotten so used to it. Uh, every time we bring that heat of awareness to these frozen coagulated energy uh, patterns, we liberate that energy that is frozen and it returns back to ourselves, back to our, as life force, as creativity, as power. Uh, so it is, it can be humiliating, it can be sticky, it can be painful, but the reward is a freedom and a connection with ourselves and life that is actually not dependent on feeling good or feeling bad. It is a return and awakening to, to her wholeness, which includes good and bad. Yeah, I fully agree with you. And you know what? A little humility has not hurt any one of us. It's <laughs> expansive. It's so... I find that every time I'm humbled by life, by my experiences, I feel closer to the divine than ever before. And it creates sort of this ecstasy in your being you know that that humility like a little more softening a little more letting go a little more release of what i think should be or what i think didn't work out that way in whatever it is 
and uh, to know that I can bring some devotion to my own process. And I think devotion is such a beautiful quality. And I, I know that every woman that I know who has learned about devotion and has practiced devotion, she's just this luscious being, you know, everyone's attracted to her. Not that she needs anybody's attraction, but as even as a woman, when I meet women who have done this kind of work, you just giggle and laugh and there's a joy is a palpable joy because there's that lightness from having, you know, like you pursued something even when it's uncomfortable, especially the fragmented piece and you come to the other side and there is the, let's say the result, you feel the result, you become the result. But I don't think there's any easy way of just circumventing that process and saying, oh, that's uncomfortable. I don't want to do it. And I want to, I want to know your thoughts on this. And I also want to tell our listeners, do it just a little more because there's a great reward on the other side. Don't give up. And it's I want to what you mentioned with devotion. There is a beautiful yoga that happens in devotion where we get out of our own way, where there is that surrender to a greater intelligence. And in the goddess view, like, you know, there's many different ways to relate to the, to the divine. Yeah, there's many different forms and, uh, and dispositions. And the way that I and in my community, we are relating to the divine is that the basic view is that divine is that she is totality. Yeah? So that there is, ultimately she is myself. I am made of her, but nevertheless, I am made of her in human form. Yeah, in this lifetime, this is a human package and many spiritual spiritual models kind of judge the human as if we have to kind of be a goddess or we have to pretend to be something else and in my view we are cheating ourselves from the portal we this is the portal in this lifetime is this human body and we can have a re, for real a taste of goddess if we are dropping fully into the human because that is her flesh that is her expression and it is holy as human in itself, as this breathing body, as this beating heart, as this, these lungs, all of this is sacred, all of, in it, just as it is. We don't have to put any layers of holiness on top of it. It is sacred if we really pay attention. <laughs> and from the human and from this understanding at the, at the roots, we are one. This is one totality taking different forms. It is that path of devotion that invites us into to relating to God and the divine, the God, as different forms, as an other. But it's like, like these, like two hands. They are appears at two, but uh, you know they are belonging to the same body. Yeah. So, um, so to relate to God and God is in form in that way for me has been incredible, crucial 
uh, as I'm traveling deeper into the waking path, because there are places in this path where you can, can no longer do it. You can, you know, you, you do your practices to a certain point and then it comes a point where that begins to do you. Yeah, the mystery begins to do you. And that point has been, it's been very, very potent for me to have that, the other, the form of God, God is, to surrender to, to ask for guidance from. I come from a very kind of Advaita school where we related to the divine just as consciousness is formless, more like the Buddhist view. And so it took me by surprise when I found myself on my knees <laughs> praying to do God, God is in. Uh, but that has been my path ever since. And especially also when we take leadership roles like you and I, and I know, I'm sure many here listening, uh, it, it becomes also like um, a little safety net from arrogance and from spiritual pride, uh, from specialness that is, you know, it's a trap that, you know, the more you hone your skills, the more that temptation will be there create another ego structure, another kind of um, special self. And devotion is a little like a, a check, it, it keeps the check in balances where you just keep handing it over, keep handing it over to something greater than yourself. Like my leadership is a servant leadership. I'm very clear on what I'm serving. So that keeps me also free from the stickiness of being special. Beautiful, thank you so much for elaborating on that. So my next question is, how do we celebrate this embodiment? Even a tiny little step that each of us can take. How do we celebrate it? How do we acknowledge it? How do we commit to this practice? Because life is pulling on us, our phones, our jobs, the driving, the everything the parenting the working and the not cooking or the cooking or the covid or not or everything <laughs> so where does one begin and and where does one begin enough to say wow i am the embodiment of the goddess exactly as i am and where do i begin to acknowledge this to celebrate it to feel it I think it goes back to a little bit of what you said about that your body doesn't lie. And that also impl implies that you have a, a very powerful guide in your body. Uh, when we begin to feel a longing for embodiment, in one way we can think that, oh, I feel a longing for embodiment, but it's actually the body and earth that is longing for you. is the body that begins to create that longing in you, uh, that is pulling you down, home, come home, come home. And right now in all the busyness and all the distraction and all the things that you know are all the time kind of triggering us, I think it's more than ever um, so helpful to remember that the body is intelligence. It is pure intelligence. It knows how to regulate and of course, uh, like I mentioned in the beginning, that the guidance I have gotten from you around the warm oil, when I say it saved my life, I, 
I don't, it's not really an exaggeration because I have been like many through so intense times and a lot of the urgency, a lot of the anxiety, a lot of the worrying thoughts, all of this is symptoms of uh, intoxication of chemicals in the body that are spinning and adrenals are creating adrenal and cortisol and all these stress hormones which is an intelligent response to a challenge or danger but here we are in this kind of very diffuse and we have we have these dangers that are uh, not always immediate but we have all the information about them uh, and so it's hard for for us to process so to coming back to the body and find that way to regulate these cocktails <laughs> in the body like you know you you don't drive the car when you're drunk and just to have some basic self-care like i mentioned the warm oil in the evening it changes the sleep when sleep changes you know all these healthy hormones are happening in the night you wake up you have different thoughts you have different feelings you have more capacity and resilience to meet life and just that is a very practical pragmatic direct experience of the intelligence of the bodies that's how close it is that's how you don't have to make anything up it's like to really get down and in and feel your body and how you can and, and learn some simple things some simple guidance from herbs from oils from touch from your body itself um yeah that is where i'm gonna start wonderful thank you for that and um can you tell us a little bit about the gaia sadhana course yes we have a 21-day Gaia Sadhana that you can do on your own, in your own pace. And um, it is the way that we relate to these myths is that we call it embodied mythology. So it means that these myths, they are old, yeah? They are, you can, may recognize some of these parts of the myth in, in mythology from all over the world. So these are like maps of consciousness that our ancestors has passed on. Uh, these are patterns that is not only human. These are patterns that the whales, they are singing at the bottom of the ocean and their song is guiding them through where they need to go all over the other side of the earth. These are patterns and rhythms that all things move to and the mythology is the way the human translate them. So this is how we can also follow these patterns and, and, and codes in the myths back into an intelligence, a remembrance of who we are and how we can live. So we take these different pieces of the myth into our sadhana, into our practice, feeling from the inside out how this plays itself out in my life and in that, we are also participating in the evolution of the myth. Myths are not a static, uh, dead story. It, it, it is a living, breathing dimension of life, just like presence is a dimension that is here that is not always so easy to grasp or define. The myth is like a, it's the web consciousness. It's that which interconnects us all. And we can ride on on the different 
beings in the myth, the different patterns in the myth, and, and, and it begins to awaken that way of living that is more um, connected, that is more uh, rooted in, in, the, in, in the wheel of life, in our place in the wheel of life, which creates a that many of us long for. Yeah, and how wonderful to know that when you do the sadhana, you're part of the continuation and the expansion of this consciousness around the, the mythical, mythological stories and the expansion of human consciousness. That just adds a richer layer of wealth to one's experience and gives meaning. Everyone is looking for meaning. So there's a personal meaning in it, and out of it is born a collective meaning. I think that's amazing. Um, I know on your website, you have a lot of other uh, self-study courses, but you also, I know right now with the COVID things are a little different, but you have an Indian ashram and a Greece ashram. I also know you offer courses in Germany and uh, in Grass Valley, California, where else? Tell us more about. Yes, right now we are, uh, we also, you know, we are, most of our courses are happening in the Women's Wisdom School, which is actually an online school that we um, started this uh, summer. And um, in that school, the whole intention is this union. <laughs> uh, we call it rooted in her is that kind of track uh, this the the thread that we are following how can we root our lives in her in the same way that we have been speaking about now and then there is also the possibility to go deeper into long-term study of embodied mythology like how one can bring these myths into ourselves so um for me that is a dream come true to be in the school like this. We have also created a village, like an online platform, community platform, very beautiful, calm ways to connect with each other. And then we also have these um, um, almost daily classes, different embodiment uh, classes, often very short, like 20 or 30 minutes that you can just drop in wherever you are. Uh, so for me, it's this, yeah, it's a dream come true with this, to be at home. Like you know, the other day we had a half day retreat online and then, you know, we did some practice on sadhana, some prayer, and then it was a break and I was going and feeding the dogs and, you know, making breakfast and then coming back to practice. And I know all the women are doing this at home. So did this situation, yes, there are, we had to cancel our Greece retreat, the India retreat. Um, I don't think it's possible to go through with it this year. But um, I can also see that that are, there's also a door opening in all of this where we, where the, where the practices actually are evolving. So we get to have that ashram time at home and how that can all integrate. Which where is does one go to join that to the daily class? Uh, is that on the Women's Wisdom School website? Yeah, women's wisdom, womenswisdomschool.com. Okay. Or awakeningwomen.com is also, yes. Okay. 
So do you have any um, parting wisdom for our listeners? Anything you'd like to share? One of the things that I feel passionate about is that spirituality is who you are. It's not something other, like a parallel track to life. That is one of the lies that we've been told. Uh, you don't have to make it up. In fact, the kind of making up of concepts and kind of romanticizing goddess and all of this are cheating ourselves from the, from the real flesh of her, the real, real juice of her, uh, which is not always pretty, which is, has, it's such a tremendous, love that she is that includes all things and and i encourage all of us including myself to risk her love to risk that we can have this for real if we just risk to relax the habitual judgment judgments we have of ourselves the comparisons we have of ourselves the ideas of what we should be, rejection of what we are. If we can relax those habits and see them as part of that uprooted Uranus, there is an intelligence that is able to take over. There is an intelligence of your body, of earth, of spirit, that is your birthright. It's nobody can take that away from you. Nobody can give it to you. That is who you are. Beautiful, thank you. And as you were saying it, I thought that's our inheritance. That's our divine inheritance, but only we can claim our own inheritance. Nobody can say, here's your inheritance, take it. So there's a little effort required, but it's so worth it. And it is such a beautiful transformative experience and it's unique to every woman. Nobody's story is the same as the next. Nobody's experience. It's, very, it's a very intimate journey with yourself and with the great goddess and with Gaia and all of life. I believe that's the invitation of everything you do. And it's so powerful and so touching. And I am so grateful for your time, your wisdom, and the love and depth that you bring and that you brought today. And I just want to tell our readers that as soon as we both got on camera, we just burst into giggles. <laughs> so that is always a great way to start <coughs> anything. Um, you know, when you feel that fullness of your heart and you can feel the fullness of the heart of the other and, um, you know, this is, this is a collect, this is our gift for the collective. Um, I want nothing from it. I just want all women to know that this possibility exists for them. Timeless, it's timeless. It's for our daughters, our great granddaughters. It's for women who have come and gone before us. And we are the recipients of this ongoing wisdom that flows through these bodies, these hearts, through the pain, the sorrow, the loss. And it is here for all of us. And I'm so grateful that I 
found you years ago. And, um, and years later, I get to have you here with me in person, in the flesh, even if it's through Zoom, and uh, have this profoundly beautiful conversation and share this with the world. And I would say to me, you truly are the embodiment of Shakti and you're an inspiration to thousands, to me. And I'm hoping even more will hear this and be inspired and um, explore. Explore, be curious, be innocent, come with the body, come with the heart, come with the tears, come with the everything. It's all welcomed. So thank you so very much. And uh, thank you all for listening to my beautiful conversation with Chameli and all of the website links will be posted in the show notes. You can find her on Facebook, Instagram, and the two websites, which I will list, awakeningwomen.com and womenswisdomschool.com. And uh, check out all of her courses, uh, her daily classes, her, her uh, 21 day sadhanas that you can do at your own pace at home and I guarantee you it's going to bless you beyond measure so thank you everyone for listening to the Heal and Awaken podcast season 5 Ayurveda for women thank you Chameli thank you <laughs>